You're listening to the DIY Home Builder Podcast, Episode 5. Welcome to the DIY Home Builder Podcast, where we discuss all aspects of building your own home. Whether you're acting as your own contractor and hiring subs or doing the labor yourself, building your own house can be exciting, stressful, and ultimately rewarding. Listen in with your host, Egan Lohman, as he interviews other owner builders and industry professionals and learn from them as they share their stories and experiences. Follow us as we go from start to finish on managing a new build, from securing a construction loan to scheduling and sourcing materials, and ultimately building on your future. And now your host, Egan Lohman. Okay, welcome back, owner builders, to the DIY Home Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Lohman, and I gotta tell you, I am so excited for today's episode because my guest is none other than Mark Smith, the author of the Owner Builder book, which honestly is considered by many to be the Bible of owner building. If you haven't read it, I would strongly encourage you to go do so, and I'd even say that the Owner Builder book is really required reading for anyone serious about building their own home. It's just a treasure trove of useful information, helpful advice, tips and tricks, etc. So I can't wait to get stuck into this episode, but first, let me give you some background on Mark. He is not a professional builder, but he spent years planning with his wife, you know, moving through their own houses and just thinking and planning. And then when they finally executed, he saved over $180,000 building his own home uh, in Utah And since then, he's put together this incredible resource in the form of his book and also in the form of a website, theownerbuilderbook.com, where he's interviewed uh, hundreds, almost thousands of other owner builders and just kind of brought all this information together on what makes a successful owner builder, um, tips and tricks for how to stay within your budget and schedule. And and he's really come up with a great um, approach to really understanding how to maximize um, on your cost savings, which he explains beautifully in the book. And that's kind of where I want to get started with him. So without me talking anymore, let's jump right in. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being on the show. I I'm really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to um, pick your brain on on all things owner-builder. So if if I screwed anything up there on the introduction, please correct me, but maybe you can give me some additional or give my audience a little bit more background. Are you currently in Utah still now? Yes, I'm sitting right here in the uh, the uh, River Bottoms house that we built uh, when we owner built. Oh, fantastic. And what a pleasure it is. I've got a um, an, an east wall on the uh, family room. That is, you know, 22 or 23 feet in height, the, the uh, ceiling of the family room. And I've got large windows over the entire wall. The, the doors at the base, which lead out to the vinyl deck, are uh, all glass doors. And I've got this fabulous view of the mountains and uh, the weather moving through and the lovely, uh, the lovely sights of springtime. That's great. I just drove driving through Provo, actually. You're in Provo, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just driving through there. And um, yeah, it's the Wasatch back there. Isn't that correct? That's right. The Wasatch Mountains. Oh, they're incredible. I mean, I think they're, I grew up in Colorado and I think those Wasatches, I mean, it's the same range, but they must be younger because they're so, uh, you know, they rise up in these huge pinnacles and they're, and they're just really breathtaking. 
I'm looking at him now. What a cool spot. <laughs> so tell, a little, tell us a little bit about that build because um, when, when did you build that place? Okay, we built it in uh, 77 um, uh, and 8. Uh, excuse me, 78 um, um, would have been the um, – uh, I'm, I'm too early on that. It's 80, 87 and 88. Okay. And, uh, you know, we went through a cold winter building the house. I hate it when, uh, in fact, uh, you're doing some inside work in your house, but it, the heat isn't on yet. Right. So we, we moved fairly quickly to get a, a gas-burning fireplace installed uh, while the, before the house was complete. Um, you know, I thought that it was going to be a cost savings, and it was, to start in the fall, groundbreaking in the fall, October 5th or so, Okay. Uh, where we are. And um, we built through the winter. It was all framed up and ready to go. The sun was shining through our framing period. And uh, and then the house was closed in, although not weathertight. Right. And were you guys living nearby? Yeah, we lived about three miles away in a condominium at that point. Okay. How critical do you think that is to be able to have quick access to getting to your build site so that you can do regular check-ins with your subs? Oh, yeah, you're smart. Uh, good good point. Um, you know, we have another book in the series, the Owner Builder Book series. Uh, there are two other sub-series. One is the special reports, which are uh, topical reports on the different trades. And another called the construction bargain strategies. So I have about 675, 700 construction bargain strategies. And one of them is to, um, uh, arrange for temporary housing on your site. Um, we've been hearing in the last 15 years about people stealing copper, uh, from, uh, job sites and other goodies. Yeah. Uh, that you didn't used to hear about that. We had some lumber stolen when I was uh, building, not much kids in the neighborhood, really. And um, but there's that you like to keep an eye on things. But every time a tradesman is coming to your place or an inspector or a delivery, you want to be there. You want to be there for for the whole thing and and just spend time with the people and uh, keep an eye on everything. It, it improves your outcome very much. Yeah, that, that's great advice. You know, so I th- my listeners will know that my folks built when, when I was a teenager, but we moved into that place before it was even roughed in. I mean, we had a couple walls for the garage and, you know, no concrete floor and, and we lived there. My parents did that more though to save money rather than for the, but it was very efficient and to, we, we'd built most of it ourselves, but we'd have friends come up and help and we had some, some subs for example, excavators. But, um, yeah, just being on site constantly makes it a constant presence in your mind. It makes you really focus and continue um, to work to achieve that goal of getting it done as quickly as it will within your schedule. Yeah. And yeah. I actually interviewed my father-in-law, who's a professional builder, and he was talking about theft. And um, that is I, – I never I – th- I didn't think about that, put those two pieces together. If you can live on site, um, you're really going to deter – that that kind of activity yeah that should that should take care of it fantastic so mark you put in um an entire chapter in your book on just the investment component uh, how being your own owner builder can be an incredible asset and wealth builder for for an individual or for a couple or for a family 
Can you talk more about that? Because I thought what you, how, the way you described it in the book was just, it, 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 it kind of turned a light bulb on for me. It made things really click. Oh, yes. Uh, owner building as an investment. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's such a freebie and such a, a fabulous uh, uh, benefit to owner builders. The uh, tax law uh, that's currently in effect that pertains to uh, uh, capital gains on your principal residence uh, is is a gimme for owner builders because uh, if you if it is going to be your house and you're going to make it your principal residence, then uh, all of these uh, gains that you make in owner building are yours to keep, no taxes. Right. I mean, you know, there's a, a five hundred thousand dollar limit on the gains, but let's say that you're building a, a, a four hundred thousand dollar house. And you build it for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well, you have an immediate gain uh, due to the market value of that house upon completion of one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, you could sell it and 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 reap the gain immediately. But uh, we just loved uh, uh, bolstering our net worth, which we did in in. Uh, you mentioned the figure one hundred eighty thousand dollars. That's what we saved on our first go round. Right. And that's, see, I was always looking at it that way. Okay, yeah, you save this much, so you don't have to pay that much in your mortgage. But you just got to switch that in your mind and realize what you've really done is like overnight added 180 grand to your net worth. I know. It doubled our net worth that year. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, like you say, you live in this house, which most owner builders are going to anyway, because they're building their custom dream home for at least two years. And yeah. all of that, all of the uh, capital gain is is tax free. Bingo. And you don't even have to, um, if you were to sell after two years, you no longer even have to um, turn put that put those capital gains back into your primary residence. Uh, no, it used to be the case, as you said, but uh, now you can spend it on whatever, and it's yours. I mean, I how how many how many owner builders do you know that have used that strategy to essentially step up? to the point of um, essentially having no mortgage. Wow. Um, actually, there is on our website uh, the answer to that question in our survey. Um, with with hundreds of respondents, uh, people have indicated, and I'm going to take a stab at it. I believe it's two and a half builds to uh, get to the mortgage-free condition. That's fantastic. I know. And in our case, we took a mortgage for it, but it was small and manageable. And then when we felt more comfortable, we moved that 30-year mortgage to a 15-year mortgage. And in no time at all, we had the whole thing paid off. Sure. Now, now it's free and clear. So, But it was such a delightful house. It remains a, a thrill to, to live in and to work in every day that, um, that we just didn't want to go on and build the next one. So we stayed here and got it paid off quick. Yeah, and I mean exactly right. That the the real point here is, of course, to build um, a custom home that you can actually afford and get all the the luxuries and all the the, the things that you want, all the features in your house that you've always dreamed of. Um, but this additional, you know, this this net worth building component to, the, to this whole thing is just is just is such an added perk. You know, let me talk about that hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Suppose that you did uh, gain that much building a house, and our our statistics are not far uh, off from that, uh, shown in our interviews at ownerbuilderbook.com, that people do gain you know more than a hundred thousand dollars 
typically on a build like this. Um, that's wealth. That, that is, that goes to your assets, to your wealth. Let me ask you this. If you are working at your work a day job, can you add a hundred thousand dollars to your wealth in one year? Dude, I mean, depending, of course, what you're making, but even if you were making a hundred grand, you'd have to save a hundred percent. You'd have to save a hundred percent. And, you know, people, uh, you know, we'd like to say that people save 10%. That's always been uh, uh, good financial advice. But, um, in fact, the savings rate in, in the country is down near 1% or zero. It has remained there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, so you make $100,000, you save uh, $1,000. Your wealth has increased by $1,000 from that source. Right. Uh, you may have other sources that are building your wealth. That's that's fabulous. But here, here in building of a home, owner building, and getting to keep the gains from that single source, you may gain more than a hundred thousand in just a one year period. Yeah. And and here's the, the the real the real kicker for me is that if you, it, I mean, depending on if you're going to finance or purchase your land outright, but let's leave the land aside and just talk about the cost of construction. For the most part, everyone's going to a bank and getting a construction loan. And then at the end of the build, you know, that is, that gets rolled into your mortgage. But that means that essentially none of that money came out of your pocket, right? So at the end of a year or however long it takes you to build, you've been building off of the, using the bank's money at the end of which you now have a custom dream home. And you've added a hundred plus K to your net worth without putting up any initial, you know, money out of pocket. That's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's an investment strategy that you can't get anywhere else. You can't go buy Apple stock for nothing and then have it, you know, become a hundred grand in a year. That's right. You have to have your, uh, you have to have a piece of the action. And, and as far as the, um, the loan goes, you may have a down payment somewhere there. Whether it was on the land or whether you bought and got the land paid for and then used that as, uh, uh, as security for the loan as, as a down payment, um, fine. But, uh, other than your small down payment, it's, it's all gain to you. Right. Exactly. Plus, plus, of course, that added incentive of the fact that you now get to live in, uh, you know, this, this beautiful home that you've built. Or you said it well. It's it's so much superior to other homes that we've lived in. It's stunning. Yeah, yeah, and that was the case with my with my folks' house too. I mean, it was it was breathtaking, and I you know they've they've since sold it and retired and moved to Montana. But that custom log house that they built was, I mean, and it's such a it's such a core identity, right? It becomes part of you to have have gone yeah. through this process and built a house and to see the fruits of your labor come out so well. Oh yeah, you've said it well. Uh, I think owner builders upgrade everything. Absolutely. You know, you're out there. You're you're looking at, um, uh, let's say, a plumbing uh, purchase. It's the one you had had in mind. Uh, let's say it's the fixtures for your house. My fixtures cost me, uh, I think, around fifteen hundred dollars. You know, the brass for the different sinks. Mm-hmm. At at my discount at the plumbing uh, plumbing distributor. They cost the discount that I got from a friend who had a fabulous discount, and all I did was bought under his account. Um, so I was at maybe fifteen hundred dollars. But say say you have a five hundred dollar kitchen 
faucet uh, in the mix uh, or, or a shower fixture or such. And um, you look and here's the $895 uh, fixture uh, for the same uh, unit that is on sale um, at the distributor because they're closing it out. And so here's an upgrade. You bought the very best that was then available and looked pretty good to you. It wasn't what you originally thought you'd get, but you found a, a fabulous deal. Without spending extra money, you upgraded out the wazoo. Right. Yeah, exactly. And your your general contractor, I mean, bless his heart, not not any fault of theirs, but they just don't have the time. They're They're managing 10 different projects at once, and they're not out there shopping every single fixture or every single uh, bulk purchase in the form of lumber or whatever. And that's, I think, where the real uh, power of being an owner-builder is to save, right? Is- as long as you're buying the materials separately from labor, your savings can be fantastic in that category. For one thing, um, you may enjoy shopping. I do. Uh, owner-builders tend to enjoy shopping. And if not one member of the couple who's building a, a house, the other member maybe uh, a real shopper and may get bargains that are really uh, stunning bargains because, um, you know, you have things like um, eBay and you have things like Craigslist and you have one of a kind finds that uh, occur all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So Mark, in your experience, what would you say, like, I know you've put it together in your book, but maybe we can walk through, you have a list of 10 items that make for a successful owner builder. What, I mean, let's talk about that. What, in your opinion, is required to truly be successful? And, and by successful, I mean, A, you complete your house and it's what you wanted, but also you came in under the retail value of that house. Yeah. Uh, I have a list in the owner builder book that I call qualifications of an owner builder. And these are, these are the kind of things that, um, People sometimes are surprised that they do have these qualifications. You don't have a certification. You're not a, con- a construction manager or a professional builder, but you uh, you have uh, certain capabilities. For example, the the fact about um, um, shopping that's that's on the list. Being a good shopper, uh, being a good student, as you clearly are. Uh, knowing your stuff about what your, what the subtrades are going to be involved in your house and how to manage things. Managing is, as, as, as a profession, managing as a pastime, managing even as a housewife manages, uh, a household. It's uh, one of the important things is to be financially motivated. That you, you really need to save money on this, on this bill. That I've seen as a big difference maker for people. You have, yeah, you have problem-solving ability. Something I like, and you brought it up earlier, is being able to be on the job site. So you have some job flexibility as an actor. That's a qualification because I think it's important to, to be there on site when the trades are there. Now, you don't have to quit your job, but let's say your trades come at 7 in the morning and you can, you can be at work at eight 8.30 or 9. So fine. So you get there and you walk the job site with the trade for the day, the tradesman, and you answer questions and you comment on the work. So uh, you, you've shown up. Maybe the other member of your couple shows up later in the afternoon if there are further questions. 
in my case, I took time off from work and uh, I was self-employed and um, I stayed on the job site full time. There was, there was something going on. You know, I, I did overdo something, Regan. I overdid something in terms of um, too much work that I did on my own, what I call self-work. And so being on the job site, when there were not trades there, I would be, you know, plugging along on my little tasks. Oh, interesting. And what were those tasks? Let's see. We uh, did the painting. Okay, yeah. We did uh, electrical, tile work, and landscaping. Okay. Yes, I did four trades. I think the average owner builder does uh, somewhere in the in that range, three or four trades, maybe five. Interesting. Yeah. More than that, you're a do-it-yourselfer. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of owner builders have trade experience and they, they're in the know, but certainly not everyone. I've I've got friends who um, really have never lifted a hammer, and they're they live in their in their owner built home now, and it's beautiful, and it came out great. Of course, because they're managing the construction, not and they're not performing the construction. Yeah, I think another you know skill or just something that an owner builder can do on the job that's incredibly uh, helpful, not just to saving costs, but also helping their subs, is keeping that job site clean. Because trades are notorious for being really <laughs> untidy, or at least I used to work uh, construction when I was paying my way through college, and you know we were just the framers, so we'd get done and we'd leave our mess, and we were off to the next job site. Yeah. So keeping that job site clean, it'll help with theft. It'll it'll help with um, keeping costs down, and it keeps your subs more organized because they can find the materials and they're not stepping on nails. Yeah, bingo. So, you know, we've kind of touched on the financial gain, but and aside from shopping, what, what in your opinion, Mark, are some of the biggest um, tricks or techniques an OB can use to maximize their financial gain? Because you've put in this book, you know, ranges from 25% all the way up to 52%. And so what were the differences there between those two um, ends of the spectrum? Okay. Yeah, I think um, it's these written tools that you like to have on, on computer, written budget, written schedule, and written uh, specifications or features. Okay. Just You mean just keeping things organized and being able to um, constantly look to see where you can save costs? Well, a written budget, you've established every cost category for your house before it you start, and you know how much you're going to spend. So can we talk about that real quick? Because that's something that's been confusing me as I as I do my research and start planning. You know, there's a lot of moving parts here and things, there's no like strict order, right? You can't, I know you ad, advocate and, and so do many other people not to design your house until you find the land that you want to build on because the land is really going to partially dictate the design of your house. All right. And then on the flip side, so if you've got to wait till you purchase land or at least find the land that you want to build on, and now you can start your design process, well, then you've got to work with your subs to, you know, get quotes and, and to try to begin developing your budget. But you also have to work with your lender to know what you qualify for to begin with. And then let's say, okay, so now we have a set 
let's say you qualify for 450, but you don't want to, that's what you want the, you know, the, the house to be worth when you're done. So you only want to spend 350 or less. So that's your budget. And then you're working with the subs and they're coming back with various, you know, bids on each of the trades. And yeah, or ballpark estimates. Ballpark estimates. Okay. And so then how are you kind of, you know, meshing all of this together to essentially come up? You've only gone to the, to the lender to get pre-qualified essentially for a mortgage. You still have to go and apply for your construction loan. And to do that, you're going to need specs and you're going to need a very well-written, well-organized budget. So yeah. it's that point, getting to that point that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with. What's your right. advice? Yeah, because uh, when we chose our, our land and we got it um, secured, um, it turned out not to be um, as broad of an access as we thought it was going to be. We thought we could maybe sidewinder the garage, uh, the doors to the garage, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we thought maybe we could fit three, a three car garage there. Okay. And, and when we got down to brass tacks, we found out that the land wasn't uh, the dimension that you thought you purchased. Hmm. Yeah, because, uh, other people move in before you and they, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, fudge a little bit on the fence lines and things. Sure. And so, uh, it, it, uh, wasn't going to work when we, when we laid out the, uh, marks for, uh, for, uh, a house with a three car garage, the inspector, uh, uh, flagged our project. Oh, really? You're too close to the, uh, fence line here. Interesting. And we had to change the design. Uh, well, we hadn't got it fully designed yet, but it, it was going to have to be a two car garage and end of story. So we, you know, features are, and specifications do change um, as you determine what your land is going to be, and as you determine what you can afford. Let's say that you're um, you you want to build a four hundred fifty thousand dollar house that goes with the uh, the local market for your level of home, mm-hmm. uh, but um, you want to you want to s- s- save one hundred and fifty on it, so you want to build for three hundred. And, and then you say, well, I, I need to allocate 10%. I'm a first time owner builder. So I need a 10% contingency, uh, factor in my budget. So people, I need to build for 270. It has to be worth 450, but it, but I got to build, I got to make a budget for 270 plus the $30, $30,000 contingency. Right. That's how you start your budgeting. Okay. And then you lay out a spreadsheet. We have sample spreadsheets at ownerbuilderbook.com. There's a um, um, uh, template for budget in our um, uh, download um, gallery, bookstore, free free software, that you can uh, get a template for budgets of uh, similar people to you, similar houses to yours. And um, and let me tell you what you're doing here, Egan. It's a little bit funky, but it's very doable. You're taking a hundred percent budget. Once you've allocated ten percent for contingency, out of the ninety percent that remain, you're allocating certain percentages to certain categories. You know, maybe it's five or eight percent to electric, maybe it's five or seven percent to foundation, maybe it's four percent to painting, maybe it's five percent to plumbing. Anyway, there are standard percentages offered there. You can dream up a budget before you even have a design. 
Okay. All right. I'm with you now. Yeah. Okay. My dreamed-up budget came very close to being my real, my real as-built budget. So now you've got this dreamed-up budget, and you know your essentially your buckets. Then you go out to your well. Now maybe you're ready to start the design, but the design's going to kind of tweak and and um, morph according to the the bids you get back from the various subs. There you go. I want to do something before design, and that is I want to talk to subs. Okay. So sub interviews, that was part of the thousand interviews that you mentioned that I did when I wrote the Owner Builder book. Uh, when I built the house, I interviewed every sub available. Huh. And I typed, I typed out what they said. I wore a headset and I typed. Right. And, uh, I had um, some some very interesting interviews, and those formed the crux of the special reports uh, that I mentioned are part of the Owner Builder Book series today. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, because the trades will tell you. I'll say to each tradesman after we've talked a bit about how to get a good job going, what what what's constitutes quality in your trade. I'll ask, what's a ballpark ballpark figure for the kind of house I described? And they can tell you. For Pete's sake, they can tell you they're not giving you a bid right now, but they can talk all day long about ballpark figures. And people, when you have a ballpark figure from three or four different guys, people in the trades, uh, in a given trade, you average them out. You have a fairly good idea what's going to cost. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a, a, a ballpark figure just on their component of the work. That's right. Yeah. That Which you already had an idea what it was going to cost you. Because right. you had used a percentage budget to allocate for that trade. For that trade, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, listen to them and find out if you're right or wrong. Some cases you're way wrong. The market has skewed uh, on that one. It's it's high. Some other cases you're you're high and they're lower. And all of these things average out, and you begin to slide your figures around to see if it can work. Okay. All right, so now you've kind of got a rough estimate from various subs. You've, you at this point, you've reached out and made connections, so you're kind of figuring out which subs you you would really like to work with. You're just getting a sense from the interviews that you've performed on who you feel like is going to, you know, be reliable, be high quality, and you're starting to kind of formulate a more uh, formal budget. And then, is your design solidified now or is this the point where you take it to an architect or do you go to the bank for your construction loan at this point first you're all good there i'm going to go next to the architect but we don't go to an architect usually an owner builder goes to a uh, residential designer right yep because of fees sure um, i could go sometimes with an architect and i interviewed them uh, because because the fees may vary by region and by time of year and by uh, market condition conditions, uh, but I got such a sensational deal from such a skilled designer. I had no problems. The design was perfect. Now you need stamped blueprints, though. In eight eight of the U.S. fifty states, you, you do. Oh, really? Yeah. Otherwise, what do you give your subs if you don't have? Oh, you still give them a blueprint. It's just not necessarily stamped by an architect or an engineer. Bingo. I see. And so, can a designer draft blueprints? Yeah, sure. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Yeah, at one-third or one-fourth of the cost of an architect, usually. You bet, sure. So my folks actually did go to an architect, but they um, 
they had done all the work. They they essentially drawn the whole thing out. I mean, to the, to the foot, and then said, "Okay, now draw this up." And I think they got their plans actually for about a grand, but that was back in '92. So, well, that works too. That works very well. That's a hybrid strategy on cutting the cost of design, but getting exactly what you want. Well right. done on the part of your parents. Yeah. Okay, that's great advice. So now you have your plans, and now you're ready to go to the to the bank. Bingo. All right. Well, that's that is really solid advice. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on to how can we then stay on budget? I mean, we've done a really good job here formulating our our, you know, our dream ideal budget, but now we have to because we we haven't made a, a a solid agreement or contract with any of these subs at this point, right? We've reached out to them, but maybe their timeline doesn't work for our actual build timeline. And so we can't go with our first choice. So we have to go with our second. And so th the, the budget's still going to shift. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, one thing I forgot to bring in there is supplies and materials. At, before before we formalized our, our formal budget, were we going to um, uh, supply supply shops and getting um, getting feedback from them on what materials would cost? That is right. You're, you're building a materials budget as well as a labor budget. At the same time. That's right. Okay. Okay. So now we've got our construction loan. We've been pre-approved for our, for our 300. And, um, but now we need to go out and actually get contracts with, with these subs. It's going to work. You already have written specifications room by room and trade by trade. Those were developed through your planning phase with interviews and in the designing of the, of the place. You know what's going in each each trade. You know what kind of fixtures are going into plumbing. Uh, you know whether it's brass, whether it's uh, copper, what the brass is going to be, what, whether it's copper or PEX or other uh, plumbing choices. Uh, you know if you have uh, uh, the cast iron piping in this plumbing design and everything else is decided. So you, you know your costs. You've done your homework. Yeah, it's time to build. Yeah. You have these uh, preferred trades that you're going to use, tradesmen that you're going to use, but you have a, black, a backup plan too. There's a, a B person and a C person mm -hmm. uh, that you could use uh, because you found them already and you know that you could go to them. Things are in flux. Schedules are in flux, but um, it's nice if you have a backup plan to yeah. – um, you, can, you can come close to your written schedule. Yeah, that's great. So – I mean, let's talk a little bit more about finding and hiring these subcontractors. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of trades out there, especially depending on where you live. Um, you know, right now my wife and I are in San Diego, so we have a lot of, you know, a lot of people to, to pick and choose from. But we actually plan to build in Montana when we move back there right. in a couple of years. And there in Bozeman, it's far more limited. And actually, I was just talking to my lender um, or a potential lender, and he was telling me, um, that the market is really hot right now in Bozeman and these, these trades are booked. I mean, they are, they're moving and they've got a ton of work ahead of them. So they're going to, it's actually, so it's kind of a two part question here, but, um, you know, they're going to want to preferentially work with, you know, the general contractor that's got five, 10 jobs lined up for them over the owner builder who they've never worked with and they don't know, um, you know, 
how, how well he's going to be organized or, or anything about this job. Plus it's only a single job. Um, so how do you go about finding quality subs, hiring them and then getting them on board to, you know, help you save and look for cost saving opportunities and, you know, building to the highest quality that you can within your budget. Wow. You're not being easy on me here. No. Oh my gosh. Wow. You've, you've created the perfect storm there in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're saying uh, a limitation on the availability of trades and a busy period. Right. And you want to compete with um, uh, production builders. You got it. As an owner builder. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, let's rise to the challenge here. Uh, you, you have a secret weapon going. You've interviewed Boku people on the telephone, which you can do from San Diego. Sure. Before you got there, before you started. And you know, uh, who's available. And you kind of know who's disposed towards owner builders. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, for one thing, you owner builders form a, a sort of a network of people that some tradesmen really prefer to work for because it's not such quick uh, in-and-out type work, uh, custom formulaic work, I mean uh, uh, production formulaic work, mm -hmm. but it is owner-builder uh, work where uh, quality is important. The owner-builder is uh, basically a colleague on site with you. Um, your questions are answered right away. The materials are purchased. You have no decisions that you have to make there. Um, you, you have, um, advantages that many subs want to enjoy. And remember, you said it earlier, a lot of subs are their own owner builders. They're very oriented toward owner building. Yeah. Good point. Interesting. Especially in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. You're not going to necessarily be with large, uh, trades, uh, subcontracted, uh, trade operations that are working out of a big office with, uh, a bunch of people. They, they may be mom and pop um, operations as well as big uh, subs, and you have your choice of who is known for really delivering quality and careful work. Yeah, that's great. And so to find that, you're you're talking around, you're talking to your suppliers, you're talking to other um, subs and potentially other owner builders to find out who worked on their job. Bingo, because the owner builders that. <clears throat> use certain subs will recommend them to you and that sub wants to continue to work for other owner builders. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's out there. Now another part that we didn't talk about is the cyclicality and the seasonality of the labor market, the construction market. Right. You I started in October of a year and I was off uh, phase for most of the trades. Uh you know there weren't any uh, there weren't many um, foundation guys working in the fall. Right. Interesting. So, what is that? Is that seasonality? Is that the same for all of them? Do they, does it does it pick up for framers, excavators, uh, drywallers, everyone in the spring, and basically go all through the summer to the fall, and then and then it dies down, and basically winter is your dead season. Yes, within a sequence. So, uh, so if you are off phase for that sequence, let's say you're getting to your finish work in June instead of uh, October when most people are just getting their houses closed in because they started in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, you're getting to your finish workers in June. Uh, they don't have much going on right now. Their, their pencils are sharper. Better, better price because they're not really a run on that material yet. Right. Okay. 
That's fantastic. I love that. So Mark, you basically nailed it, right? You you started your foundation in October when excavators were kind of having some downtime. And by the time spring rolled around, you were getting to your finish work. Yes. And that's that's how you want to dial that. That's what I tried to do. Yeah. That's great. That's another construction bargain strategy. And it's also within the flexibility component, right? If you if if you're going to be an owner builder and a successful one, you've got to be able to be flexible with your own time and your your construction timeline. Yes, that's right. And, and I was thinking of that when you talked about moving back to Bozeman, Montana. When you when you get to the season uh, and the uh, construction cycle that's in your favor in Bozeman, Montana, that can be the, when you pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Not, not just because the calendar says a couple of years from now you're moving back there. You're moving back there. You're going to take uh, um, rental housing when you first come, and you're going to contemplate your build. Um, and you're going to decide whether, well, we're in rental housing for just six months or we're in rental housing for a year and a half. Right. Yep, that's exactly it. That's, that's, the, that's the plan. Let's move on. All right, so... I mean, we've identified some fantastic strategies to stay on budget. I mean, man, there, there's so much to talk about. I guess, why don't we talk about staying, staying on schedule since we're kind of talking about that right now as far as a timeline, when to start and when to end. What, oh, yeah. How can we stay on schedule? What, what is within our power and what do we have to relinquish? Okay, you've written a schedule in advance. It's on a spreadsheet, I trust. Mm-hmm. Spreadsheet uh, is fine. You can... Um, uh, wiggle uh, a category um, uh, and or a time period um, pretty easily on a spreadsheet to, to make changes and adaptations. But you give people a ballpark idea of when you're going to need them. And then you keep reminding them, remember, I'm going to be calling on you in six weeks. Okay, interesting. So you stay in touch with those subs uh, once a month uh, in the six months before, then once a week and then every day before you pull the trigger. Right. Before you're ready for that stuff. Right. And so what happens when you're, you know, you have this timelines coming down, coming down, coming down. Let's talk about framing, right? We've, we've, we've dug our foundation. We've poured our walls. Everything's curing. We're going to be ready for framing in a week. And you're talking, you're talking, and you're starting to all of a sudden get kind of a sense that maybe this sub is no longer, he's on some other job and it's, it's taken longer than he expected. And he's, and it's not. So what, what do you do there? Visit the sub. Visit the job site. Oh, uh, the where, other one. Where the sub is uh, currently occupied. Uh-huh. And you're going to um, spend some time, make sure your relationship is uh, communicative, and you're going to get a good sense of uh, how much trouble he's in uh, in terms of uh, making it to your site on time. Some subs that you'll call on, they'll have multiple crews, and they really will have flexibility. It's, it's their stock and trade. Right. Yeah, a good sub will be able to at least allocate one or two guys to to be, start getting going over on your project. That's right. And so you're you're making successive approximations about each of these subs as you come to the time that they're supposed to be there. Right. That's great. Okay, so we're moving through our schedule, and then you get to the point where you just this sub can't make it. He's you know something something's going on personally, or or. He's on some other job, and now you've got to shift and pivot to your plan B. Did you encounter that, or how do other owner-builders deal with that, and how 
How detrimental is that to your schedule? Well, um, in order to meet uh, my schedule on um, uh, one particular trade, um, it was um, uh, it was right in the beginning. Uh, my guy who was going to do footings for me um, uh, hurt his back, and he was a, a lone operator. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, fine. So I called him. And he's in bed. He's laid up. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry about that. My brother-in-law is handling my work. Call the brother-in-law. The brother-in-law is 1.5 times as much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that I wasn't going to swallow that. So, uh, I started out a new search for a sub there and I found a person within, within a few days. Okay. And yet it does a brand new search. Yeah, it was a brand new search. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you just have to be flexible and you just have to kind of hustle. Hey, what what else would you expect? You're the manager. You're, your regular work-a-day job, if you do any management, if you're a housewife, if you have kids, you have to be flexible and hustle. Yeah, you bet. Great. All right. Well, you know, we're coming up. That's 45 minutes right there, Mark. I told you this would go quick. So I got a couple more things for you, and then um, I don't want to take up your full day. But, again, I, this has been just fantastic. We're getting so much great information out of you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So before I let you go, let's talk about bargain strategies, shopping and also just where. I mean, you built back in the 80s. My folks built in the early 90s. Um, times have changed. And like you mentioned, there are all kinds of amazing um, technologies and opportunities to bring consumers together with bargain products, but still high quality products. Um, like you said, eBay, Craigslist. Where else? I mean, would you advocate finding um, scratch and dent or even used fixtures, appliances, etc.? Well, first of all, it's it's fun to do. Yeah, it's fun to do. And and <laughs> how often do you find that eight hundred and ninety five dollar fixture that is going for less than what you were planning to spend uh, right now because it's going to be discontinued? That's a regular occurrence. It's fun to haunt the places that really do have uh, good choices and see what's what's going on. Even the home center stores uh, have nice uh, closeouts on things. Uh, and we know of cases where the store is being remodeled. They're having or, and, and they have to get clear stuff out or they're having a sidewalk sale mm-hmm. or something that's going on. But particularly the distributors who have the, uh, the heavy duty uh, selection of significant um parts and pieces for your, your, your build. So let's take my scenario where I'm going to be in a much smaller, more rural community, Bozeman, you know, here in San Diego, I, I, there are, there are literally, you know, square miles that are nothing more than these distribution distribution centers or, you know, outlet centers for one might just be entirely tile. Might one might be entirely sinks and faucets. Right. But in Bozeman, it's, there's, you got one or two, you got a Home Depot, you got a Lowe's, and that's about it. And of course, you've got your small mom and pop um, retailers. So what, what, what did you guys do? I mean, Provo is fairly large, but what, what's some advice you have for more rural folks getting their, getting access to those places? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, um, I, I, I don't want to uh, shift your paradigm too much, but... Every distributor in uh, North America will ship 
you can do your shopping uh, uh, online and on the telephone uh, for one thing. Let's say let's say you're not going for a closeout. You're just going for a solid value on uh, a given thing. Um, you you know what it should cost. You know what um, you know the everyday tradesman is paying for that product in that market. And by the way, Bo- Bozeman has uh, you know its marketplace of tradesmen um, of of professional trades who do shop a professional distributors. There's just no exception to that. Sure. They may have to drive a bit, but uh, everybody everybody in the trades really does deal with the with distributors. But there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there in HVAC, plumbing, and electrical, um, and and that's and lumber. So um, you know, uh, who knows? You know what? Maybe windows. Maybe there'll be somebody close on windows. But you're going to get good at shopping uh, online and on the phone. And after all, eBay makes everybody compete now. For sure. And now Alibaba is available, which is crazy. Alibaba. So you know what kind of fixtures you want. You made those decisions. And you start um, letting, letting your fingers do the, the, the walking. And you find that, um, well, it should cost you. My, remember, my, my brass was, for my house was going to cost $1,500. Uh, uh, or did cost me $1,500. So you're looking at it and you find that a significant component, your kitchen sink, instead of costing $300, um, your kitchen uh, faucet, excuse me, uh, is available for $75 on eBay, the, very close to the model you wanted. And so what do you do with that information? Do you want to, you want to uh, take it to your local box store and see if they can do anything to match? Do you want to get on, on, on the phone to three or four distributors in uh, downstate from you? Or do you want to get online uh, on phone to somebody back in, in, in San Diego who will ship to you overnight for 50 bucks? Mm-hmm. And and you can find uh, instead of paying fifteen hundred for brass, you've got your eBay shopping list. This guy is going to give you full quality, full assurance of of, uh, of uh, returnability uh, for eleven hundred dollars or nine hundred dollars. Yeah, it's it's out there for you because of the electronic age we're in. Yeah. So that brings me to your thousand hours. Right. So for my listeners, if you haven't read the owner builder book, this is Mark's concept. He wants a thousand hours of planning. And I think that's just, I mean, it's spot on. You you, obviously, this is not for the faint of heart. You're going to have to get your hands dirty in the form of putting in the time to plan and budget, but also especially to shop and research. And, um, so Mark, let's talk about that thousand hours. What, what goes into that? Were you guys buying these things and getting them all shipped to you initially, or are you just doing the research and, and starting to build up your your reservoirs, your repositories of links and lists and phone numbers and contacts? No, you're shopping. You've got your reservoirs of lists, links, and contacts, and you're using them. Really? And you are indeed shopping, yeah. And you're making purchases even before... Um, like when is this before you've bought the land or you've, you've broken ground and you're, and you're getting ready to build. That's when you start making your purchases or. Okay. You've gone a little step farther. The actual making of purchases. Um, I don't have to make purchases just now, but I can see what's, what's available day to day, uh, out of the, out of my list at what price Uh that, that making your list concrete is the kind of shopping I'm talking about. 
Ah, I got you. You've made the list of, I need these items. You know you have an itemized list of everything you need, and now you're finding where you can get the best price on them. Yeah, uh, let's say that I went to my plumbing distributor, and I know that it's um, going to be $1,500. But I know that um, a guy who has an account there, um, this was this worked out well for me. We had a, a guy with an account at the plumbing distributor. He was the school custodian where my wife taught school. Hmm. And he was a pal of ours. Well, it turned out that that guy um, uh, had a friend that he um, did volunteer work with some years ago who was a salesman at the plumbing distributor. <laughs> that volunteer worker who was the salesman set him up at the best discount available at the plumbing distributor. I think it was 42 or 45% off list. So we went there, we priced out what it would cost to buy over the counter. We came back on a different occasion. We said, we're coming in under Stoutzenberger Rentals, which was the business name of our custodian. And we priced the same stuff. And lo and behold, the $1,500 becomes $900. Right. See where I'm going? Yeah. So Fantastic. locking down some of those kind of things. Not, I'm not talking about closeouts and last-minute deals right, right this minute because you will still have advantage of those. But while you're haunting these distributor places, either on the phone or with your feet, um, you are seeing if something special is going on, if uh, a line is being phased out and is being priced down. Yeah. And there are times when you will buy stuff that is so uh, – uh, it is so – verifiably a bargain that it's worth putting in your garage. Sure. Not, not too often, but I mean, I don't want a garage full of windows and cabinetry uh, before uh, I build. It's just impossible. Yeah. So when you're building, you're now, you're now doing kind of finishing steps of shopping and going out and checking all of your, your hot spots again and seeing what's going on right now and making your final decisions. It's, it's fun and it is a huge uh, money builder and wealth builder for you. How often do you get essentially a blank check to go spend, you know, 200 grand? I mean, that, that's, I know. that's the biggest shopping list I've ever seen. It's a big list. And the only other time was when a house that I lived in burned down in the 80s and uh, the insurance company gave me such a check. Oh, <laughs> That and this time when you've got the construction lender giving you a big check for all of the things that he's verified and you've agreed to in terms of quantity uh, and category. Right. It's fun. It's very fun. It's organized. It's not dangerous. It's building your wealth all the way and making a beautiful home. Fantastic. Mark, that's great. You know, we're coming up on 55 minutes here, so I think that's a great place to to kind of wrap it up, you've given us just a wealth of information. I really appreciate it. Um, why don't we sign off first by, um, I want to give you the opportunity to tell my listeners where they can find you. Obviously, we've talked about your book and your website, but what else are you up to? And maybe please remind my my listeners about those other resources that you've put together for for them. Oh, thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me. Um, uh, we've been able to uh, become the, the the largest uh, seller in the self-contracting category over the years now, 15 uh, to 20 years, uh, with the owner-builder book in its various editions. It's it's a thrill. Um, we're pretty 
we're pretty simple. We don't come from the trades. We don't come from uh, the construction in industry. We're just regular folks like you guys, whoever you may be, uh, who were able to build a house that was a success story. Uh, the fact of, of spending a thousand hours of planning is to make it a success, is to make it fun and pleasant and no bad surprises and to get the house that you're hoping to get. The Owner Builder book is about that. Uh, since we put the Owner Builder book out there in the world's largest self-contracting website, ownerbuilderbook.com, we've expanded the series to the special reports series, now numbering quite a few pages in the uh, construction bargain strategies series. That's just pure fun for me when, uh, when owner builders come out with uh, more ideas that uh, knock your socks off, a way to save money that you have not thought of but some smart person has thought of it, and it's no skin off your back to do it. Uh, the owner-builder construction bargain strategies is available on our website also to help you delve into those possibilities. That's great. I love it. And I, I take advantage of your website and the book all the time. It, it, they truly are just phenomenal resources. So thank you again for putting those together and for coming on this podcast. So with that, we're going to sign off to all you owner builders out there and DIY enthusiasts. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, look forward to chatting with you again next time. All right, DIY family. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Mark Smith. I found it incredibly insightful. You know, I was chatting with Mark after the, um, after the episode wrapped up and, um, I forgot what I, I wanted to ask him, you know, what, what the biggest uh, challenges and mistakes most owner builders face are. And he said, you know what, Egan, we, we actually, we, we, we talked about it already. It's the planning, it's the research. If you, if you put in the time, if you do your homework, you've done your research, you've done your planning, um, you pretty much have a guaranteed winning strategy. And that's just incredible. I mean, when you when you compound all of the benefits of being an OB and you nail it, you do it right because you took your time, you put in your due diligence, you got your research done. Uh, you know, you're 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 going into your build essentially with a guaranteed win that you're going to end up with a beautiful custom home that you designed around your lifestyle and your family. And on top of that, you're going to uh, drastically add to your net worth. I, you know, I, I feel so blessed to be here, to be in this situation where I know this information and can apply it. And I'm, I feel so blessed to have you all listening in and uh, sharing, not only in my journey, but also sharing your story with me. So um, as always, wherever you found us, wherever you're listening, please head back and leave us feedback. It really helps us improve the quality and the content of this podcast. And again, you can always find us over on DIYHomeBuilder.org where we share our story with, um, with you, the community, and the community members themselves are constantly adding uh, their own content, video, blog posts, images, and um, uh, within the forum too. So with that, this is Egan Lohman signing off. And I look forward to chatting with you guys next time. And remember, keep swinging hammers and pounding nails. <laughs>